1: I don't think I'll ever forget January 25th, 2020. I was getting ready to head out for a Robbie Burns night supper when suddenly I got an email telling me that health minister for Ontario, Christine Elliott, followed by what seemed like 15 doctor's names, would hold a news conference at Queens Park at 5pm on a Saturday. At that point, I knew we'd had COVID arrive in Canada. Hello, my name is Brian Lilly. I'm guest host for the Full Comment podcast this week. And we're going to look back at at how things were dealt with in very specific ways when it comes to COVID-19, the pandemic, reactions, overreactions. But before we get to our guest, I do want to remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple, um, Amazon, Spotify. Make sure that you hit the subscribe button if you want to keep hearing great content. Make sure you leave a like, you leave a comment, share it with your Aunt May and Whitby. Spread the word, spread the love. Don't spread the COVID. My next guest is someone who was at the forefront of many of the debates that were front and center during COVID. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is uh, an infectious disease specialist, a doctor at Stanford University. In October 2020, he penned I guess you could call it an open letter, a document, a declaration, if you will, the Great Barrington Declaration with two other medical specialists. And it called for what many thought was a balanced approach to dealing with the pandemic, but was quickly derided as letting people die. Dr. Bhattacharya, thanks for the time. Thank you, Ryan. Nice to be here. You've had quite, uh, quite a ride since the, uh, the Great Barrington Declaration was published uh, let's talk about what it was and what it wasn't, because I, I think that you have been uh, unfairly described by those who love you and support you, uh, but they are of the COVID's not real variety. And you've been attacked by people who think that you just wanted people to die. So were you surprised by those polar reactions as you after you released it or, or, or is it about what you expected?
2: Well, I was a little surprised by the reaction of public health officials, you know, people like, who should know better, people like Tony Fauci and uh, Francis Collins, the head of the National Institute of Health. Uh, the, 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 the idea of the Great Barrington Declaration was not to let the virus rip or to kill anybody. In fact, the central idea of the Great Barrington Declaration was focused protection of vulnerable people. Um, we knew certainly by October, long before October, actually, 2020, that it was older people and certain people with chronic conditions that were at highest risk of dying if they should get infected. Uh, Forty percent of the deaths had had already occurred in nursing home settings, and we were clearly inadequately protecting. Um, So the Great Barrington Declaration called for better protection of vulnerable older people. Uh, the idea that the lockdowns would protect those people, that was at the heart of the problem with our pandemic response, that lockdowns and controlling disease spread in the community, something that we've, we've become clear, it's impossible to do uh, without causing tremendous harm to uh, children, to uh, poor people, to the working class. Uh, that it was, it, that, that I, the idea was that if we did that, we would by de- osmosis protect old people. I knew that wasn't correct. And that was the reason for the declaration. I, so what I was really surprised by, Brian, was that uh, public health didn't engage with us in, tr- in creative thinking about how better to protect vulnerable older people. Instead, it uh, treated us like foreign invaders or something. Uh, You're know, needing to repel uh, us. Uh, Francis Collins, the head of the National Institute of Health, wrote to Tony Fauci, calling me uh, a, a professor at Stanford, uh, Netra Gupta, who was a professor at Oxford. And uh, Martin Kulldorff, professor at, at Harvard, she called the three of us, uh, the the, author, the primary authors of, co- of the declaration, fringe epidemiologists, and then basically unleashed a propaganda campaign against us. I, I was stunned by that. The fact that the public at large sometimes gets, gets things wrong, I mean, that's not, that's just normal. Our job as public health professionals is to try to tell people what the truth is. And public health professionals that at the top of these scientific bureaucracies fail to do that.
1: I'm guessing your life now is much different professionally and otherwise than it was prior to the pandemic. Were you seen as a fringe epidemiologist before COVID-19? Were you someone who was really active in in, in political circles, uh, you, you know, because you've been described as many things over the last several years. How would you describe yourself prior to signing this declaration or pr- let's just go back before COVID arrived? Um, how would you have described yourself your professional life your work your politics?
2: yeah so I, I'm a professor of medicine with tenure at Stanford University I've been a full-time researcher for 20 years I've been at Stanford for 36 years I teach a, a class in uh, health economics for which I've written a best-selling economic health economics textbook um, I teach a class in statistical methods that uh, people around the university and especially the medical school have taken. Um, over over two decades and I've trained many professors uh, people who are now professors at top universities around the world um, I mean I don't think anyone would have called me a fringe figure they may not have agreed with everything I wrote but that's just normal in science um, I have 160 papers published in peer-reviewed journals uh, you know tens of 10, 15,000 I forget like 15,000 public uh, citations something on that order um, I mean I, I I, I I, mean, I, I'm not the most successful academic in the world, but I was a fairly successful academic. I'd never written an op-ed before the the pandemic. I had never, I, in fact, I never signed up for a political party. Still to this day, I've never signed up because I view myself in public health. We have to reach people of all political stripes, regardless of what our political opinions are. I've tried my best to keep my own politics out of my about uh, out of my research, out of my out of my even even during COVID, out of my uh, my advice. I, f- I mean, if you go to Sweden, I'm more allied with the Swedish left. If you go to the to uh, you know Florida, you'll see I'm allied with a Republican governor. I don't know what my politics are as far as COVID is concerned. I, I think it's unfortunate that in the United States and Canada, uh, these lockdowns have have enjoyed a, a widespread political support among the left it's not one of these things i would have expected before the pandemic since the harm done to children the poor and the working class have been so high uh, by the lockdowns i would have expected the political left to be more sensitive
1: to that it, it surprised me as well how quickly uh, folks that normally will say they don't want politicians or they don't want that particular politician who's elected at the moment they don't want them to have any power they don't trust them suddenly wanted them to have All the power. Now, the declaration said, Adopting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health responses to COVID-19. By way of example, nursing homes should use staff with acquired immunity and perform frequent testing of other staff and all visitors. Staff rotation should be minimized. Retired people living at home should have groceries and other essentials delivered to their home. When possible, they should meet their family members outside rather than inside This does not sound like uh, someone who denies that COVID-19 is real or that it's a threat, and yet that's how you and your colleagues were portrayed. Were you shocked at that?
2: I was. I mean, I, I did a, earlier in the pandemic, I'd run a seroprevalence study measuring antibody levels to COVID in the population. I've been at the forefront of measuring how deadly COVID is. It is a deadly disease for older people, especially. Um, the key thing is this thousandfold difference uh, or more where there's a very, very high risk of mortality for people who are older versus younger people who have faced much lower mortality. Um, the the idea that that the COVID uh, that if you've had COVID and recovered, that you have substantial protection against severe disease on reinfection, that's that's very clear from the data. So I've not I've never argued that COVID isn't real of course it's real it's caused tremendous suffering harm and death but what we were arguing for was a better strategy for managing this risk rather than these blanket lockdowns which which you know when we wrote in october 2020 it was funny because there were some people who were arguing that we were we were combating a straw man that the lockdowns were already gone from the spring um but we wrote the declaration because we knew that it was likely that covid waves would come back was a real thing and that we it was likely that we would respond in the same panicked way that we responded in march of 2020 with lockdowns with school closures and whatnot um that that's why we wrote we wrote it specifically because we viewed COVID as a real threat and that the problem was that the public health authorities were not taking the threat seriously enough by accounting for the features of the virus in particular who was most at risk
1: it's remarkable um that saying protect the vulnerable was considered so controversial. But I can tell you that I wrote many columns saying that. And you had public health doctors uh, out there saying that th- that was inaccurate and that everyone was at risk and and making claims such as, well, if a toddler gets it and then they see their grandparents, uh, then the grandparent could catch COVID and die. So close schools, close playgrounds, uh, shut down social activities, uh, it it made zero sense to me. And yet the data shows, you know, that in Canada, anyway, the most prevalent groups to contract COVID-19, 20 to 39, 40 to 59. Those were the two groups that got COVID the most. Hospitalizations, it was people 60 and up, deaths 80 and up. More than half the deaths were over the age of 80 with underlying conditions. These were things that we knew after the first few months but we didn't adapt until very recently, did we?
2: No, it took way too long for public health authorities to come to terms with the fact that they had failed, uh, that, that, that the lockdown recommendations they suggested had failed. Uh, we should have understood, if you understand anything about how societies function, uh, we, we live in tremendously unequal societies, Brian. And uh, the idea that everyone can say, stay home and stay safe, well, that's not true only maybe 20 30% of even rich societies have a population that could uh, afford to stay home with without going out and risking getting getting sick the rest of the population needed to be out and about and not because of of some frivolous thing it's just out and about in order to to you know, pay the bills, to feed their families, to work. Um, all of those were not optional. Only only a small fraction, maybe 30, again, thirty percent of jobs could be replaced by by Zoom. Um, the policymakers assumed that everyone was in that in that same condition that had that, 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 that those kinds of resources in order to uh, comply with the lockdown orders. Um, the fact that societies are unequal, this is well known to social scientists, it's known, well known to everybody. It should have been at the forefront of the minds of the, of the, of the public health authorities who recommended lockdowns, because if they had had it at the forefront of their minds, they would have realized that there was no way it could succeed in protecting vulnerable people. That, that you needed separate, specific strategies that understood the living circumstances of the people in, the, in, uh, in towns and neighborhoods and cities where, the, where, where people were, in order to devise strategies that had any chance of succeeding. Blanket lockdowns, uh, admonitions to stay home, stay safe, fear-mongering, none of that was going to work in the long run. And it's certainly it's unfortunate that, that those strategies were adopted because it harmed so many people.
1: Do you think that any of the lockdown measures worked? Were any of them... Successful or or are you against them? Blanket because when you look at the death per hundred thousand It really is a checkerboard pattern. You know, Italy's over I think three hundred and eight thousand Or three hundred and eight deaths per hundred thousand according to Johns Hopkins Uh, United States 336 Britain 330 Sweden 230 and people say aha see lockdowns don't work, but Canada where You know we had stricter measures than some US states less strict than others we're at about 130 deaths per 100,000. Do you think that any of the measures worked? Was it personal choice? Why the, di- why the discrepancies? Um, Sweden's not the best performing, but not the worst. Some of the places like Italy that had very strict lockdowns, horrible outcomes.
2: Yeah, I think, I think that the, the, um, the key thing to me is that focusing on just COVID alone is a mistake. Right, we, if you want to look at an outcome, I, what I would prefer to look at is all-cause excess deaths. And by that measure, for instance, uh, f- Sweden has done better than almost all of Europe. I think it's actually done better than Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, it, by on on all-cause excess deaths, California has done worse than Florida. Florida famously opened up uh, in, in uh, May or April, uh, June April 2020, whereas California stayed locked down. My, my kids didn't go to school. I live in California. They didn't go to school uh, in person for almost a year and a half. Um, uh, and yet, all-cause excess deaths are lower in Florida than in California. Uh, the, if you look at the uh, peer-reviewed literature on the effectiveness of lockdowns, uh, what, and you f- stay focused on papers that actually compare places versus, and, and correlation, correlating with with uh, with, uh, with with, with uh, you know um, the, the stringency of measures. It's you'll be hard pressed to find any correlation at all. I don't think the lockdowns were successful in the long run, as you say, a checkerboard pattern in the long run in in protecting against COVID, and they caused tremendous harm. Swedish ch- school children have no learning loss. Uh, California uh, kids are almost you know, a year and a half, two years behind, and it's not equal. It's poor kids, it's minority kids that suffer the most on that, and that will have long-term consequences on the health and well-being of these kids. Because if you uh, if you have poor schooling, you live the, the social science literature is pretty convincing. You live shorter, less healthy lives because you are poorer. That's what we've consigned a generation of kids to with these lockdown measures.
1: You think that it will be that long-lasting that that they won't recover? I mean, I
2: do think that we need we are morally obligated to try to make up for it, Uh, you know, to to provide some kind of, of, of catch up. But I don't think it's possible to fully replace two years of missing school effectively or, or 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 sort of inadequate schooling and, and that, that's just in developing countries at least in developing countries or developed countries we had we had access to uh, internet and zoom school that that replaced to some degree in poor countries in developing countries the the the, the results are catastrophic right so uh, we recommended school closures to uganda they closed their schools for two years and many children had no access to internet uh, four and a half million kids in Uganda never came back from those two years of schools. We, I mean, it's a, it's a generational inequality that we've driven in, in, in poor countries. That's true, again, true in, in India. It's true in the Philippines. Every single poor country you look at, you see something like this. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because I don't know how you make that up. I think we have a moral obligation to try, but I don't know how you make that up at full.
1: When we come back, uh, Dr. Paticherry, I want to ask you about what it was like to have someone like Francis Collins, the man who mapped the genome publicly and and viciously attack you asking for a takedown. Uh, We'll get to that when we come back. Uh, I'm Brian Lilly, guest host on the Full Common Podcast. More in moments.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to Shopify.com/slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's Shopify.com/slash system. Looking
1: back at how the pandemic was handled and the lockdowns, it looks like we got a lot of things wrong along the way. I'm speaking with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. A professor at Stanford, one of the signatories to the Great Barrington Declaration. And, uh, Doctor, you were attacked viciously from the beginning. Francis Collins, a, a man who, you know, you mapped the genome. I mean, that's it's an amazing feat with this guy. And he's emailing Anthony Fauci saying, we've got to take these guys down. Uh, I'm guessing you probably had some professional respect, may have looked up to Dr. Collins. What did it feel like hearing about that this man wanted to Take you down,
2: Brian. It was just disappointing. I mean, uh, as you say, he was the uh, the uh, head of the Human Gen- Genome Project, a tremendously accomplished scientist. Uh, had a, a great deal of admiration for him for that, but also for his uh, his principled uh, stance in in declaring that he was a faithful Christian. That took a lot of courage on his part in in a context of of science where that that sometimes you look down on um and I, I i too am a christian so i it was to me to see in print this this essentially like a, a the a evidence that he was abusing his power as the head of the nih to to call for a devastating takedown of ideas that he disagreed with from scientists you know uh that 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 uh, that were putting out their ideas in good faith that was a, tr- that was tr- a tremendous disappointment. What he, what he should have done was call for a debate or a discussion. He should have engaged with us to understand what we were actually saying. Instead, he uh, engaged uh, in a pop- essentially a propaganda campaign to destroy our reputations, to destroy the idea. And, I, and I've po- long pondered why. Like I've tried to understand what exactly was going on in his head. I, I wish I had access to him so I could ask him directly. But I think that he was so convinced that he was right – that he believed that anyone that disagreed with him was posing a danger to society. He wanted to create an illusion of consensus in favor of his opinion, even when it was clear that that consensus did not actually exist, that there were prominent scientists from around the world, including the tens of thousands who signed the Great Barrington Declaration, doctors also, um, who disagreed with him. There was no scientific consensus. He wanted to create that illusion that there was because he thought that he was so certainly right that it was it was immoral almost to disagree with him.
1: We handed over a lot of decision making, a lot of authority during the pandemic, to uh, to scientists, to medical doctors, to people who said, "We've got the formula. We can model this. And while people would pick at everything that that you and your colleagues had written in the Great Barrington Declaration, there was very little challenging and questioning of the models. Uh, We had in Ontario something called the science table, uh, and I called them various names from the Scientology table to the fake science table, the misinformation table. These guys, uh, you know, the Imperial College uh, modeling at the the very beginning that the whole world relied on was devastatingly wrong. Uh, Our science table would come out with Uh, predictions of if we don't lock down we will have x many cases and if the government didn't lock down and we had no more cases to say well it's just if we don't lock down again we need to have more and they were consistently wrong and yet not challenged I know you're a medical doctor and not a psychologist but why do you think that is why were people so willing to to hand over authority to to folks in your line of work who, who kept getting it wrong.
2: Well, I think uh, if, if you think back to 2020, um, in 2021, there was tremendous fear about COVID. And uh, you know for the first time in, in a generation, we had a, a new infectious disease. And unlike HIV, which infected a, a particular part of the population, the idea was, at least in the early days, that everyone, as like you said earlier, that this was the dogma, that everyone can get infected, which is true. Everyone can be infected. Everyone, unlike HIV, everyone really is at high risk from being infected. Um, uh, whereas, like, uh, whereas, so, and, and so, and we, you know, in the West, we felt like we conquered infectious disease. Like, really, for the most part, infectious disease was something that happened to other people. And so you have this panic. Um, people look in that context of the panic to you know, you know gurus or something, some you know, p- pundits to tell them how do I get out of this? Wise men, or to tell them how do I get out of this? Um, a lot, to a lot of the modelers put them put that robe of of you know wise wise men who knew how to fix things around themselves. The problem was that those models were incredibly naive about the structure of societies. They were set up um, so that mechanically, if you just kept people apart, like lab rats kept in cages far apart from each other, they won't spread disease to each other. Um, well, societies don't operate like those models envision. And because it doesn't, they don't operate like how those societies envision, those models were going to be wrong over and over again. And they were going to be wrong in a very particular way. They were always going to over-predict the effectiveness of lockdowns. And, of course, the models never had anything like a model of, of what the harms of lockdowns would be. And so you had these uh, modelers and some of these scientists who were so confident about their, 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 their wisdom because, because some computer model, you know, essentially like a video game like The Sims, it spit out some answer. Um, and uh, and you know when they were when they were wrong they were like oh well the the, the society just isn't cooperating with my model uh, the problem is the society not not the model um, it was it was a, uh, it was an act of hubris on the part of scientists and unfortunately I think that a lot of p- public of the public has lost trust in scientists as a consequence of the overreach of these modelers.
1: It's funny you said earlier that to you and uh, your colleagues had issued the the declaration when you did, um, I think it was October 4th, uh, 2020, because you knew lockdowns would come back. Well, they came back quicker for us, perhaps, than you, uh, because in Toronto, restaurants were shut down, I think, five days after you issued the declaration. It was the Friday of our Thanksgiving weekend with no notice. They were shut down. And when I asked officials, they said, I said, what data do you have to back it up? They had no data. And it was just being told, we've got to keep people away. Um, that has a, a, a detrimental effect on health as well, doesn't it, though? That keeping people isolated, I think we're seeing it with the mental health issues, with addiction issues, with social uh, distortion, like, such as the, the, the violent crime that we're seeing carried out by young people um, you know, across our country. Anyway, I think these can be related back to... A, a total disruption of society for more than two years. Would I be incorrect in in putting that forward?
2: No, I completely agree with you, Brian. Um, we're not meant to be alone. Um, you know, in in July of 2020, the CDC did a survey in the United States, a representative survey that found that one in four young adults had seriously considered suicide in that previous uh, in, in that previous month. Um, the rise in in a uh, drug drug abuse, all of these I think are consequences of the isolation. We essentially the, the the central dogma of the lockdown is that our fellow humans are biohazards, that we are dangerous to each other. When in fact we need to be in company with each other in order to to really to f- live our full lives, um, and it's not surprising that this dogma, this anti-human dogma, has had such a n- negative corrosive effect on the health psychological health, physical health, and well-being of so many
1: people. Do you have any feelings about the fact that there were people um, who were on the anti-lockdown side, but well beyond just saying we shouldn't lock down, COVID's a hoax, this is driven by, this is the pandemic. this is governments trying to control us. A lot of them latched onto your declaration, obviously because they didn't read it, because they were denying COVID and, and trying to use your declaration does that give you any pause for concern? Does that bother you at all?
2: I mean, I have to say, like, it's uh, I'm, I'm used to writing scientific papers where I don't have any control over and Frankly, I'm very bad at predicting who uses the results of my scientific analyses. Um, I, I think a lot of the people that were on that side, Brian, I think they had lost trust with the institutions of public health and the institutions of government Um, and i think that it's 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 part of a longer term phenomenon i mean i think you have uh you've seen these rise of these populist movements around the world as as a result of essentially uh people that don't have a voice and they don't they're not always the the you know they're not articulate in how they how they express their concerns but they are expressing some honest concerns that i think are worth worth addressing uh, I, i'll just stay narrowly focused on public health public health during the early days of the pandemic and frankly throughout the pandemic has dismissed uh, concerns by people who who had legitimate concerns. Like I'll give you some examples. Like you 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 know you, you can you can have uh, uh, an elderly parent die in a nursing home. And you can't. And the nursing home says, "Well, no, you can't. You can't hold. A, you can't come and say goodbye." Uh, you have uh, a child in a in a in a, a hospital on a hospital bed and only one parent can come up and say see him at a time right or you have uh someone who loses their job over a vaccine mandate even though they they see all around them all these vaccinated people getting covid saying when and they're they're treated as if they're essentially lepers when in fact they're not at much higher risk of passing disease on to anyone else as a as a as a as a vaccinated person might be especially if they've had covid and recovered all of these kinds of like uh mistakes that had consequences in the lives of real people well, what does it do it just it undermines trust in public health and a lot of what you're talking about Brian I think is the fruit of that loss of trust in public health and it'd be one thing if it was utterly unwarranted but I think a lot of it is the, the fruit of public health hubris the fruit of, of the lockdowns um and I don't I don't know I don't know how I'm not a politician I don't do politics I just try to look at the data and say what I you know, say what I see. Um, but uh, so I, I, you know, please forgive me if I, if this is completely naive. But I think the, the, the best way to deal with that kind of phenomenon is to, to be trustworthy, to be worthy of trust, and public health unfortunately didn't meet that standard. If you had a public health that was trustworthy, you wouldn't have people. Uh, reacting in that way because then public health could respond and say you know this is really not like that here's here's the right way to think about this and people would believe them um sweden is a good example of this i mean very high levels of trust in public health because when public health made mistakes they owned up to it and they t- did their best to try to treat the population like adults that's not that doesn't characterize american public health i'm afraid it doesn't characterize canadian public health No, i
1: was on many of the um early uh news conferences either in person or or by phone if they were up in Ottawa with dr. Tam and all the things that they eventually told us we had to do they initially said we don't we didn't have to do it, originally the the advice was stay home if you're sick cough into your elbow wash your hands practice good hygiene I, I think most of those are in the Great Barrington declaration by the way um, and now the public health advice uh, but Asked about masks, they said, no, there's no need. Um, even asked about, uh, should we be screening at airports from hotspots? No, there's no need. It won't stop it. Uh, and on and on the list went. And and then they eventually all reversed themselves, and not only reversed themselves, but wanted to use the full extent of the state's power to enforce a view that they once said was wrong and, and vilified anyone who said, wait a minute. There's a problem here. What, what's the long-term impact on public health from that? I mean, you're a public health uh, you know, doctor. Do, do people just not believe the next time there there is a, a serious concern out there? Do, the, do more people just say, hmm, you weren't so right last time. I'm not going to believe you this time.
2: It's heartbreaking, Brian, because now uh, what I'm seen is a collapse in trust of, of the basic Vaccines that uh, that that are quite important for public health, like you know the mm like for children, MMR, uh, DPT, all these uh, polio, all these vaccines that are absolutely essential, with a lot of good evidence behind them. The public trust in public health has collapsed, so that that movement has grown pretty widely, and um, and the and the, the, con- the kind of questions they're asking are not Ill- illegitimate questions. They're like, well, what are the data show us that show us the information, and when public health responds. They're not going to believe, they're not going to be believed because they cried wolf. Uh, think about masks, like you bring up masks. Um, in the early days of the pandemic, Tony Fauci said, uh, well, masks don't work. You don't need them. Um, the reason he said that, actually, I believe, is because that's what the evidence prior to the pandemic actually showed. A dozen good randomized trials for the flu had found the masks were ineffective in managing com- in com- uh, reducing com- community spread. Um well, then later in the pandemic, just a couple of months later, he turned around and said, oh, no, I was lying to you earlier. In fact, I was lying to you because I wanted to make sure that, the, that there were enough masks for healthcare uh, for, uh, uh, healthcare workers. Well, you know, there, there's kind of two lies embedded in that. He wasn't lying to them earlier. That was his honest view about masks mm-hmm. in, in January 2020, that they don't work. But it's also true that he was he he was uh, essentially admitting to lying. Well, who would trust him again after that? That like you can't give noble lies and expect to be believed X ex- after the fact. You can't just say ha ha, I fooled you, and then now I'm gonna gonna trust you in the same way. Um, that has characterized public health throughout the pandemic. That, that they they try to manipulate the public by 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 altering facts to the thing the way that they want them to be, as opposed to just honestly saying like what if what if Tony Fauci had gone up in front of the public in January 2020 and said, you know, uh, I don't I don't think masks work very well. Uh, I know a lot of people are, are, are want masks because they want to protect themselves, but it's very important that. But healthcare workers have have access to these masks because there's a lot of good evidence that in hospitals they work well that trained pr- trained professionals using them and and then, and then uh, correctly can can protect vulnerable people with them so I'm asking you uh, members of the public to refrain from using them so that they can be used in places where they're most most needed I think that the public re- would have reacted in kind correctly to that. They would have responded by, by, you know, just as they did, like tremendous sacrifice. Um, instead, they, he admitted to lying to the public, manipulating the public. And it's not just him. It's public health at large that did this over and over and over again. I don't know how you get your credibility back.
1: The World Health Organization looking at lifting the, uh, the designation of a public health uh, emergency of international concern, I think it's probably long overdue, but I'm not a doctor. I'm just someone who lives in this world. Where do you see us going? Um, do you have a, a positive outlook over the next six months to a year, negative outlook? Uh, l- let's end on on an upside, I hope. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, th- I think uh, the COVID is a very, very different disease in one sense than it was in March of 2020. Uh, first, we know tremendously more about it. We have very good, uh, you know, m- much better treatments, um, and and ways to prevent the worst of it, including the vaccines, actually, uh, for the most vulnerable. Um, a very large fraction of the population has had COVID and recovered, and therefore has a strong protection, immunity even, against uh, reinfection until there's a new variant, and also against severe disease on reinfection. So... The threat of COVID is so much less now than it was in March of 2020. The uncertainty by COVID is so much less. It is absolutely time to lift this state of emergency. It's absolutely time to, to lift this idea that, that we need to reorganize our lives around COVID. Um, that's the good news. Uh, the bad news to me is that I believe that lockdowns are now a staple of public health responses to future pandemics. I believe the idea of of uh, noble lies and manipulation of public behavior is now a staple of public health uh, responses to pandemics. Unless that is changed, and I believe it's going to take new leadership at the head of public health uh, that acknowledges the harms of these unethical approaches, unless and until people view lockdown as a dirty word in public health and outside. Uh, we are going to face the danger of this sort of thing happening over and over and again in our lifetimes, and I don't see how that's consistent with liberal democracy. The last three years have seen the rise, essentially, of an authoritarian power of public health, and I think that uh, as as a as a as a uh, as members of the public living in living in liberal democracies we just can't have allow that to happen there needs to be checks and balances put in place so this sort of thing never happens again i
1: hope you're right on your first point and i hope you're wrong on the on the rest dr jay batacharya thanks so much for your time thank you brian pleasure to talk with you Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name is Brian Lilly. I'm the guest host this week. This episode was produced by Andre Prue with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer of Full Comment. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Listen through any Alexa-enabled device. And make sure you leave a little rating or comment and tell your friends about us. Thanks so much for listening.